Welcome to Real Good Company, a show about real people building good companies that make a big impact. We go behind the scenes to get the good, the bad, and the ugly. So you can become a better leader and gain fresh wisdom for both your personal and professional life. I'm your host, Allison Trebridge. And I'm your host, Caitlin Crosby-Benward. And you're in In Real Real Good Good Company. Company. (laughs) Britt Barron, thank you for being on the show with us. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. This lovely, lovely human, Britt, was introduced to me at the Giving Keys a few years ago, and she came in with her brilliant father talking to our team about the issue of race, not only in the workplace, but in society and this you know, generation. And, and it was so informative. And I'm so glad we got to learn a, a little bit about it from brilliant minds like you, even before everything that's happening in the world right now to give us, you know, just a a little snippet. But it seems like a lot of corporations are looking into this for the first time, unfortunately. So I would love for you to share a little bit what you did back then. If you remember anything that you shared at the Giving Mm -hmm. Keys and what you did when you would share to different corporations or nonprofits and things like that. Yeah, totally. Well, this is work that I've been doing for over 10 years now, which is wild because I still feel so young. Like, how have I been doing something for 10 years? And I started I as an adult. Like, I don't feel old ever. And by the way, Britt is also an author. We're going to talk about that later. She has so many things to talk about. Just a classic millennial. You name a job, I probably have it. I love it. I love it. Well, the anti-racism work is something that I've always been passionate about for a lot of reasons, right? Probably because of my own experiences in life. So my dad is African-American. My mom is Mexican. and growing up in predominantly white communities and feeling like this tension, this gap of understanding. And something that has always been important to me, which I have sort of tailored my work to, which is not to say that I think everyone needs to or all the work has to look like this. My personal entry point of this work has been a strong desire to make it accessible. Mm. So I think a lot of what keeps people out of the conversation and people afraid to jump into the conversation is not knowing where to start, afraid of saying the wrong thing, have heard this conversation take place with maybe words they're not familiar with or concepts they don't yet uh, grasp or understand. And that will keep them just almost fully out of the conversation. And so with our work with, with brands or organizations, that's been our goal, right? Is to say, okay, how do we create an entry point this conversation. We're not going to come in and do a training and solve systemic racism, right? But we are going to lay a groundwork, give you language, give you framework, give you understanding so that hopefully your teams and your organizations now have that context and can grow that into whatever you do next, into your hiring practices, into culture, into, you know, all these things that are part of whatever that team does, which is something we've been doing for a while and got to do with the Giving Keys. Yeah, like, years ago and now has become even more important because like you said Caitlin there are a lot of brands a lot of companies who are for the first time thinking do we need to have a conversation about race right which sounds absurd (laughs) but they are yeah and so how do we create something accessible for them um that can launch them hopefully into like a long journey of of anti-racism work in their in their workplace Mm. One of the things that I loved, Britt, is going on your website, brittbaron.com, by the way, everybody. Yes. 
But you have this 101 guidebook to understanding racism. And Mm -hmm. there's so many people in the white community right now saying, I am convicted. I want to do something. I genuinely don't know where to start. And it's, you know, it's not helpful when someone who's white then goes to turns to a black friend and says, well, just teach me and tell me everything and puts (laughs) the burden on the black community. And Mm -hmm. that's not the burden of the black community right now. It's, Mm -hmm. It's our burden as as people who are white to start to do the work and the learning and the understanding ourselves. And so I just love that you created a guidebook or a toolkit like this to to kick people off in that journey. And just wondering if you can kind of talk us through the kind of main points you highlight there. You talk about like starting with understanding the issue and then unpacking it. And then how do you move and take action? Can you can you kind of share some of those with us? Totally. So the guidebook is, it's something we've wanted to do for a while that's been in sort of production in our almost in the background a little bit, right? Because we've been so busy with so many other things. And and this just felt like a season where we have to like hit the gas and get this out. Um, because you're right. I think there are just so many people who are looking for like a place to start. So the guidebook is meant to be accessible. It's not meant to feel intimidating. It's it's meant to be something that you can literally use as a start, starting point. And it goes through um, those three things like you mentioned. The first thing is understanding. So It's almost impossible to understand race or have a conversation about race in America without historical context. So the analogy I I use a lot for this is to imagine yourself sitting by a river, like a beautiful river, rocks, the water's like gently brushing them, you know, winds blowing in in the trees and you're, you know, you have a picnic, you're living your dream and you, you imagine this beautiful river and now imagine that that river is just full of trash. So Starbucks cups, styrofoam, plastic mm-hmm. bags, you name it. So you have two options, right? This river is full of trash and this trash is coming and coming and coming. You can jump straight into the river and try to grab as many Starbucks cups and pieces of plastic bags as you can. Or you can walk up river and you can try to figure out how the trash is getting there in the first mm-hmm. place and see if you can put a stop to that. So right now in 2020, we have a lot of people saying, oh my gosh, this is an issue. How can I jump in and do something? And it's like, if you don't understand how that's getting there in the first place, it's going to be really hard to address any type of solution-based or oriented work in your life. Mm. And so the whole first section is meant to give you a better understanding of historical context and how that sets up how we got here. Mm. We didn't arrive in 2020 out of nowhere. We arrived here after sets of policies and powers and systems and structures have been created and implementing certain things. And so to understand that might give you a better idea of what to do. Mm. Right? And then the second thing that the guide goes through is, is unpacking. And this is where we get into privilege and power. So when we look at that history, when we look at those systems that were created, what does that mean for the way we exist now? What does that mean for the way we embody some of those realities? And so we do, I think, a good job of unpacking privilege because that can be a tough topic, right? No one wants to feel like they have something that they have not earned and that there's nothing that they can do about it. This is a lot of, causes a lot of tension. We've known this for 10 plus years of doing these trainings. And I always say, right, right, white privilege doesn't mean your life hasn't been hard. Mm. It does mean that race isn't one of the things that's made it harder. Well said. 
that doesn't mean you haven't worked hard or overcome things with your family or whatever the case may be, but you have something that's not working against you while you do that. And so we, we unpack that and we look at very practical examples of, you know, flesh colored crayons and nude tights and, and how these things that we, we have understood to be quote unquote normal Mm. being associated with white and everything that's quote other being associated with people who are not white and how that leads to some of the bigger issues that we see. So one thing I say all the time, because I'll talk about those little ways that we other people, and they don't seem like a big deal. Like when I go into Target and all the aisles say hair care, except for one corner that says multicultural hair. Yeah. Right. It doesn't seem like a huge deal, but what it's reinforcing is this idea that your hair is normal and my hair is other. Mm. And that when we begin to other someone, the last domino to fall is always violence. Mm. So when we begin to other someone, the last domino to fall is always violence. And so you you look at George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and you think, I, I would never participate in that kind of violence, right? But we all participate in the subtle way of othering those people to the extent that which someone might think their life matters less. And so we get into that in that section. And then the third thing that we do in the guide is have people develop their own anti-racism action plan. A living document that you put on your fridge, you put it up, that you change and adapt as you change and adapt. But what, what are you actively engaging in? It's, it's three sections, education, action, and relationships. So what are you learning? What are you reading? What are you listening to? How are you acting? Where are you spending your money? Are you you know, if you can't get out there in the streets in March, be aware of, of what you buy and where, where they support and relationships, right? Who, who in your life are you talking to and learning from? So those are kind of the three sections that the guide goes through meant to take you from literally very, you know, beginning to, okay, how do I engage in anti-racism in, in my own life? Mm. So good. Britt, what got you started in in working with corporations? I think it was a slow burn, but at at some point, um, being passionate about this work, I think I realized how much weight corporations carry in our culture. So a lot of the things that I was starting to understand about race and racism in America, I realized weren't necessarily individual. They were corporate, they were systemic, and they were they were sort of being moved by and and reinforced by corporations, by organizations, by companies who are the ones who put out crayons that have one that says flesh. There are companies who put out things that, you know what I mean? And so realizing, okay, like this is where I'd like to focus my work and, and give some insight so that hopefully we can shift some of the culture through these organizations, through these brands, through companies, and that can have an impact on sort of individuals and and how we start to see each other. Mm. Yeah, I think it's so important for business leaders to realize like some companies think that they can be insulated from social issues in a way rather Mm -hmm. than realizing that it's imperative that we're implicated as businesses and companies because I don't know anything that makes a bigger impact on culture. Yeah, I mean, most of the examples that I'll use to identify where these systems have normalized one group of people and other another group of people, they all come down to to brands and to products wow. and to organizations and to companies. And so you think about that and you're like, 
yeah, no, there's no, and this is something we say all the time, there's no neutral, right? Mm. There's no neutral when it comes to racism. Mm. Sociologist Beverly Tatum puts it this way. She says, when you are born in America, raised in America, you're put in on a moving sidewalk of racism. Mm. And unless you walk faster than the sidewalk in the opposite direction, then it will be moving you. Wow. We have a lot of individuals, brands, companies who think, I'm just going to stand still, right? If I don't move, they can't see me. That's <laughs> like, well, powerful. You're you're on the you're on the sidewalk. So you're either you're either moving in the opposite direction or it's moving you. Wow, that's incredible. Now, all your work that you had done with corporations and giving keys and with your father and on your own, did all of that lead you to wanting to write a book or did that come you know, from like a different space of intention or kind of walk us through how that happened and then what, what your book is called and what is it about and when, when can everyone get it? Yeah. So I wrote a book, um, it's called Worth It and it comes out in five weeks. It comes out July 21st. And I know, and so the, the, the journey has been fascinating for me in the, in the past few years, there have been a lot of intersecting circles, which I think most people understand and kind of get confused when we use words like intersectionality, but there are just many parts of us. Mm. And part of my story, right, is that I'm a person who grew up in the church, um, in the evangelical church, and eventually ended up becoming a pastor at a at a mega church. And it's like funny to even, I refer to that as my former life. And then I met my wife and wrestling through what it meant to make a decision to be who I was knowing that it was going to blow up all of the security and comfort and structure of my life at that time, because you, you couldn't be gay and work at this church or be a leader at this church, be a, be a part of this church. And, and that was my whole world and livelihood and work and, you know, significance to a certain extent. And beyond just that, that church, it was, it was the community I had been raised in and so many things. And eventually, right. I had to realize as scary as it was, and as much as I was going to lose because change is loss, right. It's also so much gain, but it's loss. And that's, that's what scares us about it. Ooh, that um, is good. I have to pause on that for a second. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that Oof, that is good. I need to write that down somewhere yeah. because I always say I hate change. I hate change, and now I know why. So thank you so much because yeah. it's lost. Well, we, that is true. But it, there is so much gain there. But you said it so succinctly that that's really good. That so needs to gain. be on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker or something. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'll make bumper stickers coming out. But it is right. Like that's what that's what we're we're we fear about it, and and we understand so clearly. Like this is what's wild to me. We understand so clearly as humans the the necessity to to grow and evolve right and you see that when you have a kid who's learning how to walk and people basically throw a parade at like walking crawl like crawling then walking then running then they can ride bikes but then at some point we get to a level of adulthood where people in our life it seems like they're just screaming at us don't change mm. like you you make it to a certain point and everyone's like keep growing and and get a driver's license and go to college and do all these things and then now stay exactly as you are forever, because it makes me feel comfortable. And so eventually realizing I had two options, which I think most of us have. I can try to live a life that makes the other people around me feel comfortable 
um, and try to live into their expectations that they have for me. And that's really hard. Or I could face the change and the fear and the loss and be who I truly am meant to be. And that's also hard, but ultimately one of is worth it, right? Mm -hmm. Which is how we got to me plugging the title again at the end of that story. (laughs) Which I Um, love the title. Yes, I know, right? It it came, you know this, the the title, like, you know, the publisher goes back and forth about how about this? And you're like, do you hate me in my book? (laughs) So the, the book coming out is, it's a lot of just my story of being a black woman, being someone who's gay, um, growing up in the church and and finding my way spiritually through all of those dynamics and ultimately realizing life is going to be hard. That's just, that's what it is. Mm. It is, it is hard. And you get to choose the kind of work that you, you want to be a part of. You can choose to resist what's going on right now culturally and pretend like you can't have a conversation about race or you can engage in meaningful conversations about race. Those are both hard, yeah. right? You choose the hard road though. That's going to take you to freedom and who you want to be and healing and wholeness. Mm. It's you can live into other people's expectations and you can succumb to their fear of you growing, outgrowing their comfort, mm. or you can risk that change and that loss. Again, they're both hard. You just choose what kind of hard work you want to do. Wow. I mean, I think that that's such a profound point, even going back to the issue of the present moment. It's like, I think so many people are either leaning in and opting in or they're afraid and opting out, but not realizing that, as you so eloquently put it, both paths are hard. Mm -hmm. And so what is what is the more true, more beautiful more deeply good, hard path that you can choose? And what does it mean to lean into that? And, and I think there's a freedom in kind of naming that and naming the, the tension of, of that change. But the very nature of change is what like gives me hope for this cultural moment is Mm -hmm. that, is that all of the rumbling and stirring can, can lead to dramatic change. Yeah. And I think it, it, it absolutely can. And and we know that to be true from our own individual lives, right? We know what it's like to get so uncomfortable in a relationship that now you're like, if that person chews their food that way again, I'm going to scream, right? Like I have to get out of this, this relationship. If this, if this job keeps, it's too much tension to stay and I'm scared to go, but I have to. Like we know that feeling. Everybody knows that feeling, whether it's whatever, relationship, job, anything, you name it. And so I have hope that we can connect those dots from our own lives to the cultural experience we're having now Mm. of we are caught in so much tension. And I know it's scary to leave systems that we have and structures that we have and to create something new. But at the same time, we all know what it feels like to stay somewhere that has gotten so tense and unhealthy that we have to get out. And that is worth the risk of of the change and the fear and the growth and all those things. And if we can start to to better make some of those connections, I think more people would would understand it, why it is so necessary, maybe less afraid and ready to to sort of jump in and say, okay, you're right. This is this is hard either way. And I want to do the hard work that's going to lead us to to some healing. How has this time and also just your experience 
with your wife, Sammy, who, by the way, I love. And she used to be our graphic designer at the Giving Keys. She's Uh, perfect. She's awesome. (laughs) But how has all of that affected your spirituality? Kind of where are you now? Did it make you walk away from the faith because you felt like it didn't line up with that particular sector building or yeah, where, how has that affected your spirituality? Yeah, I think being a little bit on the the other side of, of some of those just wilder seasons of it all, I think I can clearly and confidently say nothing has been better for my spirituality than that experience. Wow. So, so many things that we talk about, race, faith, sexuality, all those things are, are usually tied to comfort. And um, because of the comfort, I feel like that the church wanted or, you know, churches that I grew up in, because of that, they, they were bound to telling a small story of who God was. And that small story of who God was didn't include um, me. It didn't include a, a lot of people I love. It didn't include people of other faith traditions. It didn't include all of these things because it, it had to stay small for, for us to stay comfortable in that setting. And being able to remove myself from that and, and being forced out of that even, I realized, oh my gosh, the story was never meant to be that small. Mm. The story was always meant to get bigger and the story will only continue to get bigger. And I get to be a part of that has been uh, amazing and incredible to feel like sometimes growing up in, in the church and, and in Christianity, I always felt like maybe one day I was going to like turn over a rock or look behind a curtain and find some like horrible truth that was going to make my worldview unravel. Like it felt so fragile. Mm. And now I'm in a place where I realize, oh my gosh, there's no limit. There's absolutely no limit to what this can be and how I might understand how God moves and works in the world through all kinds of people and that it's, it's hopeful and it doesn't feel fragile. And it makes me really excited to be a part of, you know, the change happening in the world. I love that. I love the term doesn't feel fragile. Yeah. I think that's a, that's an aspiration for all of our journeys. Thinking about the, this change that we're going through and, and so many of our listeners are either business leaders or entrepreneurs or, you know, thinking creatively about their role in the workforce. I I heard somebody say the term recently. I was I made the comment of like, I, I hope this cultural moment doesn't lead to a sort of its own kind of greenwashing. And they said, yeah, it's called mm-hmm. black power washing. Mm-hmm. And so how do how do we as companies both embrace this moment, but do it in a way that is deeper than a moment and that isn't just a, a kind of a painting over, a, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of companies are stepping up to to put black voices forward but how do we make that more than just a a temporary reaction yeah i think there's two two main things there right one is you have to be just be con- uh, committed to a long-term journey mm. one of the brands we're working with right now on our first call they're like we need to get a social media post up now and i was like okay sure um, <laughs> You can post on social media. You can you can post anything you want on social media. But if if the reason that you're doing this work is exclusively because you feel social pressure to put something out as an optic, 
when you don't have people of color on your leadership teams or a culture that's going to invite them in or all these things, then, then I don't know if we were the right people to work <laughs> with you. Right. So, um, there's, there's a commitment to have more black voices and do these things and post on social media and tell us what you're about and great. But if that is not backed up by anything that we, the things that we can't see just from, you know, social media, all these things, if, if you're not committed to, to actual change in your organization, then then it's just going to be that. It's going to be a cultural moment for you where you, you know, got some followers because you, you said Black Lives Matter. But it has to be more than that. And the second thing I always tell people is it has to be committed to, it has to be personal to you. Like you have to, you have to understand how you have been impacted, how history has, you have to, you have to have a why. If you, if you don't, right, the work isn't going to last. And on our uh, trainings that we do, one of the last things we do is storytelling. And um, my dad and I still do a lot of work together, which is fun. Oh, I love that. And we both tell our stories of why, why we're so into this work. And one of the things that I say is I, I, I talk about this moment that I had, which in, in the short version was an opportunity to take a team of people to the South and we did a civil rights tour. And I learned about so many leaders from Martin Luther King Jr., Bayard Rustin, Fannie Lou Hamer, Stokely Carmichael, Julian Bond, like all of these people, Medgar Evers. And I was like, these are some of the best leaders of our country all participated in this movement and are still participating in this movement. And then I had this haunting thought, which is truly one of the things that drives my work to this day. And the, the, the question that sort of haunts me is, what might they have created if they did not have to spend all of their time, energy, brilliance, creativity towards defending the fact that they were human. Like if Martin Luther King Jr. did not have to spend all of his time, energy, creativity, and brilliance trying to tell us that Black people were equal, what might our country have right now? Like what could he have created? What could all of these leaders have created if that's not what they had to do? And that is just fundamentally something that fuels me and keeps me going. And I challenge everyone who actually wants to be a part of this work to find that, find that question, find that thought, find that reality that is going to keep you going almost in a a haunting way, but also, you know, like make it personal. Wow. I would love to know uh, with your book, what is the one thing you would want people to walk away feeling and knowing and, and, and like what shift do you want someone to feel when they finish reading your book? What do you want to leave people with? Yeah, it's a good question. When people read this book, my number one dream is that they will be able to look at their lives and look at the thing that they have been afraid to do, which could be literally anything, and feel like they had the right and the audacity and the courage and the confidence to do it. I love that. Beautiful. Well, everyone, please, please, please go pre-order this incredible book, Worth It, by Britt Barron. How can they pre-order it right now? You can pre-order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indie Books, basically anywhere you probably like to get your books, you can find it. And we're obsessed with the cover. So go go check it out and see why we love it so much. See what my beautiful wife made. (laughs) 
Britt, it's such an honor to have you on the show. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us and putting your story out into the world and just your own bravery and your courage and stepping into hard and uncomfortable conversations again and again and again. And it's a model for what all of us need to be doing right now. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me on and and having these conversations and having this amazing podcast. <laughs> thank you, Britt. Have a beautiful day. And Thanks, we you hope too. everybody enjoys and checks out her book. And we will talk to you all soon. Thank you guys. Bye. Thank you guys for joining this episode of Real Good Company, a show about real people building good companies that make a big impact. Music from this episode is probably from one of Caitlin's old demos. <laughs> Megan Schwindling was our producer. And thank you guys so much for joining. And always remember to stay in real, real good, good company. company.